Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations about ecological embodiment and intimacy with place. I'm your host, Kendra Ward, acupuncturist and land alchemist, currently living on traditional Abenaki land in what is now called Vermont. In these explorations, we wonder, what happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Waking up from a great forgetting, these inquiries bring us to the fluid interfaces of human body and land body. Along the way, it's my hope that we diversify our sense of relational kinship, discover creative, disruptive ways of living beyond our human-centric tendencies, and make wide space for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. Because in these joy-soaked but bleak times, falling in love with the land and the beings where we live is truly the basis of healing and reconciliation, a resistance against ecocide, and the special work of our human hearts used well. Welcome to an episode in the Embodied Elements series. By embodied elements, I mean, how is the season, the shift in carbon cycle, and the ever-evolving changes in landscape, changing your internal landscape? What is there to discover in the overlapping spaces between your inner and outer wilds? I do these special episodes because I love the seasonal invitation to really explore how the cycle of transformation lives in us. And every turn of the seasonal wheel, every year that goes by, I've learned to listen that much deeper, to let myself be informed by the land, the plants, the sun and moon, the gods of weather, about how to live my life. Never static, always shifting. So today we're going to do a deep dive, or maybe I should say a slow burn into the themes and soul questions of the fire element which in East Asian medicine relates to summertime and the heart. So if you're not in the Northern Hemisphere, you can listen, just remembering that the axis, the polarity of summer and winter, are always speaking to each other, always interdependent with each other. Or you can come back to this episode when it is summertime for you. So today we're going to explore how we embody the archetype of fire in all of its expressions of peak aliveness. We're going to eat some sun, unravel the delicate spiraling organ of our hearts with a little anatomy lesson. We're going to ponder this mysterious Taoist term called Wu Wei. And we're going to call back that ancestral knowing that the heart is the true key to experiencing direct perception, direct connection with the living world. 
So lots and lots of heart medicine for you here in this episode. In an effort to make sure that we're all starting in the same place, though, let's just take a moment to give a nod to the five elements according to East Asian traditions, meaning right now we're in fire, summertime, then we'll move into earth, the late summertime, which has its own, it's kind of cool, it's its own season. Then we move into metal, the metal of autumn, water, water of winter, and then we cycle back to wood uh, or wood element or tree element or sprout element of spring. So these old primordial powers are not just theoretical. They're not just like words that live in a dusty book somewhere in the mind of a, a scholar existing somewhere entirely outside of us. Instead, they're made animate through us living them into being. The five elements remind us of the path that all living things take through birth, flowering, decline, death, and rebirth. We all know the elements already, whether we realize it or not. So there's a possibility that this might sound a little foreign, but the truth is that we all know the elements already. We all know the seasons in ourselves. We all know that burgeoning hope of spring or the contracted underground nature of winter. And right now, if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, we know summer. Our bodies know the longer burn and light of all that sun, the openness of our pores, the ease and freedom of longer days, even sometimes the frenetic nature of so much stimulus when everything around us is like, see me, smell me, hear me, touch me, play with me. It's like there are so many conversations going on at once. When you've lived in the same place for a little while, each season becomes a reunion of old friends, a relief to see them healthy and well returned to shared homelands, a relief to see the dragonflies back on their favorite warming rock, a relief to see the plant families of chicory, red clover, mugwort, and milkweed in the fields again, a relief to see the osprey has returned with a partner into their twiggy nest and that there's already a new babe in tow. A relief to watch the bats come to dance in the dark. That for now, something fleeting, something precious is still right with this world. So I'm curious what friends greet you this time of year. What does your body inherently know of summer? What memories or smells buried deep within your dinosaur brain want to come and rise to the surface right now? What have your people known, your long line stretching back through the ages, having experienced many, many summers, what do they know? What stories, songs, secret desires or old wisdoms that lived in their bodies now want to surface and live in yours? So in the season of open-arm passion, themes of full unfurling are mixed with the necessary emotionally intelligent discernment so that the heart is able to use its deepest sense of knowing well 
so that it's responding well to each individual moment. And what this does, it prevents this this tendency, this overextending, boundary leaking, or overconsuming that sometimes can happen when we're swept away by the natural enthusiasm of summer spellmaking. It's tough, though, to find this balance, to not be overly persuaded by the FOMO, the fear of missing out that summer seems to rile up in us. Perhaps this is because everything around us, the flowers, the birds, the earth herself, seems to be holding her arms wide, stretching her clavicles, expanding the rib cage, doming up the diaphragm, letting her heart fill fully with the sun's light. And at the solstice, in that moment, the earth is in her most intense stretch towards the sun, her most bright, most yang within yang day of the entire year. And there is no escaping that we're intricately intertwined in the life cycle of light, that we live in a solar system, that our only orbit is a path of worship entirely oriented around the sun, that we literally eat sunlight, the energy that plants capture, and we bring this sunlight into our bodies for nourishment. We soak up the sun rays with our eyes, our skin, growing our glow. And at full illumination, this radiance actually becomes visible to the naked eye, which is why people spend gazillions of dollars on self-tanner and why actors are known as stars and saints are depicted as being surrounded by brilliant halos believed to be illuminated. So given the right conditions, it really is our innate tendency to shine. But once again, the spirit of our heart must learn a sense of discernment so that it's able to use its deepest sense of knowing in order to respond best to each individual moment. This is a learning about how to radiate without burning out. So let me tell you a little story about radiating through the spirit of the heart. A gorgeous, whimsical story based in the mythological language of ancient Chinese embryology. Once upon a time, or perhaps I should say once upon a cosmos, the spirit of our hearts, or what is called our shen, existed as a divine light in the great interstellar nursery of the stars. At the moment of our conception, the enormous ladle of the Big Dipper scooped up starlight from the Milky Way, being our most local source of star essence, of course, and poured this light directly into our mother's womb. In the womb, the star essence doesn't scatter willy-nilly. No, instead, it entered you through the primary cell division that eventually centered at the peak point of your head. So just take, a, take your pointer finger right now of your dominant hand and place with a, a gentle pressure the very most upper top of your head. It's this point right here. It's called 100 meetings. And once that starlight penetrated, sunk into this point fully, your heart spirit began to organize the rest of your unfolding growth. 
So just letting that sink in for a moment. Everything about you unfolded, developed from your heart. And at that moment of your death, your shan will be liberated from your body, exiting from this very same point at the top of your head. And from there, it will return to its homeland in the celestial heavens. So just letting this story settle a little further, perhaps moving it into your everyday life, this shen of divine spirit gives the cosmic marching orders that precipitate our lives and organize the unfolding of our earthly being. So in Taoist terms, we might describe this as our heavenly mandate, our Tao, but we could also call it our soul's path, our life's purpose, our unique destiny. The Shen is a living, pulsing energy within us. And during the day, it resides in the head. Actually, it gets expressed through our eyes specifically. And it can be witnessed in like a gorgeousness of clarity or mischievous sparkle of the eyes. But at night, the Shen drops down to rest in the heart and it helps weave the stories of our dreams. And by the way, if you want to read a lovely version of this story, I highly recommend the book Kigo by my teacher, Lori Deshar. So wonderful story and all, but um, what's the purpose of Shen in everyday life? Well, Shen helps us know our most authentic self and moves us to honestly communicate the needs and knowing of ourselves to others. At its core, it acts as a spirit of deeper insight and conscious awareness. So then imagine what it might feel like for the Shen to be stuck, weak, interrupted. How is this going to show up? Well, not surprisingly, it arises in feelings of anxiety, panic, insomnia, muddled thinking, depression, or what you might also find to be sort of a disembodiment or fragmentation. And you know it when you meet someone and you look at their eyes and they're cloudy or their gaze is elsewhere. They're just not meeting you fully. They're just actually not really in their bodies. That's what's called shen disturbance. When that lighthouse behind the eyes is distracted, dim, or even extinguished. So this brings us back to the fire element. Fire as the elemental force that sparks the Shen, the heart spirit. When we don't have enough fire, it impacts our drive, motivation, initiation. It impacts having enough energy to follow through or respond well to each new situation. I think about it sometimes like a campfire that has just the right amount of heat to warm us and charm us and soften us, comfort us from the cold. Without it, we freeze, contract, or become immobilized. From an animal body perspective, fire governs the persistent, steady beating of our hearts. This is a primal pulse. Our hearts begin to beat a brief 22 days after conception, and they continue to beat without a prolonged rest until the moment of death. And what a journey, what a discipline over the course of a life, teaching us about constancy and commitment. 
But I caution you that with all of this sense of a steadfast commitment, let's not buy into this narrative of the heart as some sort of engine or pump. There is so much that we're still coming to understand about this enigma of the heart organ. But more and more, we're coming to realize that the heart generates complex patterns of hormonal, neurohormonal, electric, magnetic, and chemical messages throughout the body. What a shame that we still underestimate the complexity of the heart by equating it to just some piece of machinery. And I've had the the tremendous pleasure of learning more about the tissue and the physical structure of the heart from the very respectful human dissection workshops of Gil Headley. So when held outside the body, we can see that the heart tissue itself is tender, soft, almost fragile, and certainly not the beefy muscular version that we tend to think of. I think of anatomy class in the past when the heart is this tough, meaty piece of plastic that you can take in and out of the chest. Well, in reality, the heart is nothing like this. In truth, when the heart or the tissue of the heart is unraveled, it's actually more like the shape of a conch shell, a precious spiral that can be unwound. And interestingly enough, We've also come to realize that this myth of the heart as a pump, well, it's just entirely false, a myth. There's no actual way physiologically that the heart would be able to produce that kind of pressure. In fact, pressure, like a pushing, isn't what occurs at all. Even our blood is not propelled by pressure but rather it moves with its own biological momentum, its own intrinsic flow pattern. Meaning that blood flowing through living vessels is a vortex circling around a vacuum center. We have spiraling hearts and spiraling vessels. Liquids move faster and easier when they're traveling in a spiral motion. And this is true for liquids moving through plant vessels, like a stem or a tree trunk or human vessels. So the heart, soft and vulnerable, is one big sacred geometrical spiral interacting, orchestrating with a vast swirling circulatory system 60,000 miles long. So... If we can let go of this idea that the heart is a muscled blood pumping appliance of sorts, perhaps we can also let go of the story that the heart doesn't know how to rest. Because how typical of our work-obsessed culture to pin the heart as some long-suffering workhorse. But the truth is that we don't hold one long contraction, right? Like the heart is not only working, but the heart beats. It's doing and then it's not doing. It's alternating between action and non-action, or what in Taoist terms would be called wu-wei. Effortless action, or when we allow the flow of life to happen without resistance. 
So it's this is not doing nothing, which is sometimes how our Western minds want to interpret it, or sometimes how Wu Wei can be misunderstood. But instead, we're trusting in the river of our lives, taking action at times to avoid a boulder or some other obstacle in the river if necessary. But we're not using our life's energy to try and swim up against the river itself. When we're in the rivers of our lives, we're not resisting the water. Sometimes we're floating, sometimes we're kicking hard, but we're in the flow, we're in the current of the river. So Wu Wei does not mean being passive or being a victim or never taking action. Instead, it means accepting what is and moving from there. So the truth is that Wu Wei in practice is seen everywhere around us in nature. I notice it particularly in the bodies of trees, like the extreme leaning torso of a coastal windblown tree, or the resilient body of a tree growing around fence wires, or in the roots of a tree that have spread across old granite boulders. Whether it's in the aging process, or in the flow of the seasons, or in the shift of day to night and night to day. The naturalness of Wu Wei is taught to us everywhere in nature. A willingness to be in the flow instead of moving with a willfulness. So there are a lot of layers here, right? The, the reason why Wu Wei is so difficult for us modern folk, um, you know, most of us were raised up into this world with pretty squirrely ideas about proving our worth through our doing. And then the collective keeps us all going and perpetuated so that even if we don't buy into the narrative anymore, perhaps our job or the system or the structure keeps it all going. And we don't think to look to the living world for advice on how to live. All we know is that as humans, we are separate, elevated, that we have some kind of special hall pass to get out of the natural cycles and workings of the world. But somewhere in our bodies lives an old knowing of Wu Wei. Somewhere in our bodies, Wu Wei makes perfect sense. And this somewhere is the deepest yin cavern of our beating hearts. When healthy, our hearts do not resist their tremendous task. They are just doing and non-doing over and over again. And here in the vessel of our hearts, our heavenly Shen, our, our stardust, has a safe place to rest. The, the challenge slash opportunity of the fire phase is to feel into your Tao, your soul's path, and to attune once more to its voice, much more intentionally, carefully, listening closely to its guidance on when to rest, when to act, when to eat or dance or lay down boundaries or open to a new love. The spirit question of the fire element asks, how are you expressing your truest self and in turn, your truest joy. So I'm wondering how you're noticing the impacts of the last few years of intense 
living on this planet or many, many years, her ongoing state. And I'm wondering how you feel like the heart, the fire element within the collective has been impacted. Because I'm certainly noticing an increase in the usage of anti-anxiety meds, an increase in sleeping meds, and perhaps even more profound, a sense of difficulty in accessing joy. The fire imbalance slash heat raging seems to be increasing as a theme on this planet, not just with the Canadian forest fires that have raged this whole summer where I live, um, not just constant record-breaking temperatures, but also record-breaking chronic disease and inflammation in our human bodies. All of this makes me think of a poem by Rumi, If it were always summertime, the blazing heat would burn the garden, soil and roots, so that nothing would ever grow again. December is grim yet kind. Summer is laughter, and yet it burns. Rumi knew East Asian medicine, I'm convinced of it. So this poem makes me think of the sun, so bright in its solar flares, but so hot it burns black in its center. The fire elements, yang, luminosity, heat, and activity are dependent on its relationship to a dark, quiet opposite, the yin matter that nourishes it into being. So fire is the element that's at the top of the five element chart. Uh, But this placing reminds us that fire has a tendency to rise, but also inevitably it falls as well. So to me, it feels like there's no other time of year that the marriage of opposites feels more present. In my body, I know fire as an archaic creative force, an elder deity, a grandfather of the entire universe. I feel fire right there in the center of all creation, as well as in the digestive center of my body, lighting up the many, many smaller pilot fires in my body, initiating metabolism, moving my blood, sparking my neurons, squeezing, moving life into my beating heart. Fire scatters chi, it disperses, its light light moves through quickly. And we feel this in the way that a laugh suddenly clears stale air, or even in the flash of an orgasm, the joy of union, the expression of healthy fire being able to merge and then separate again. This summer, I've really noticed, I've really felt all around me, the brevity of the moment, the the way that fire is so brief. Every precious evening, the fireflies come out for their ecstatic light show before the summer's gone, and that window is really short. It's such a relief to see these friends again, especially knowing that their magic no longer exists in so many places. When they really get going, it's this rapid fire of pinpricked light, and soon it feels like there's no separation between their fire and the star fire above, which is also all twinkly and an explosion of life. The fireflies feel like fresh flint and spark, while the stars are these archaic winks of fossilized gods. 
And I'm reminded of where I come from. I'm reminded of that story of heart essence, of Shen, that ladle dipping straight from the Milky Way, all of my ancestors smiling down on me the moment my Shen took hold in my body. The stars in their slow burn, while the fireflies are something entirely ignited, a speed unknown. So in gathering all that we've learned, all of the, the nutritive ashes of the fire element and the crazy wei-woo wisdom of our hearts, I hope that we're able to bring these learnings beyond just our individual human experience and out into the living world with us. Diversifying our sense of relational intimacy, maybe making some new friends in the, in the way, in the process, because the most universal way to communicate is through the heart. The resonance of presence, availability, and willingness is spoken directly through our hearts. Presence reminds us that listening does not only come from our ears, and that speaking does not only come from our tongues, our vocal cords, our heads. It feels like being truly present requires a slowing down. I just don't know of doing it any other way. So trying to slow, but also remembering that slowing down is not a function of physical speed, but of presence itself. So when you're greeting an animal, a plant, a river, not expecting them to hold a human psyche, but seeing what opens up when you approach with this energy of presence, of friendship. And in that moment, you're doing what humans have been doing for eons, holding a bridge of communication through love. I'll close us here with some wise words from plant medicine expert and eco-poet Stephen Herod Buhner. And he says... The important thing is not that the heart is an intricate pump or even that it creates electromagnetic fields that other people can feel or through which we can communicate. The important thing is that we exist, immersed in living fields of communication, all of which are imbued with meaning, generated by intelligent life forms, and flow from and to us from the moment the cells of our bodies self-organize into the unique identities that we know as ourselves. We experience these communications not as lines of words on a page, but as multi-valued, complex exchanges of intentionality, touches of the living intelligence of life forms to which we are kin. They are exchanges of the qualities inherent in living organisms, not quantities of mechanical force. We feel the touch of the world upon us, and those millions of unique touches hold within them specific meanings sent to us from the heart of the world and from the heart of the living beings with which we inhabit this world. This interchange changes the quality of our lives and reminds us that we are never alone. We are one organism among many, one ensouled form among multitude.
All right. Wishing you a glorious heart radiating summer season. Thank you for spending your time with me in this way. And I hope that there was something that might have pushed you up against your growth edges, something new to learn, something that dissolved a barrier in your heart. And if it felt of benefit to you, please do consider subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening source is. I am so glad to be on this planet with you. I'm so glad that we get to widen out our sense of relational intimacy together. And I'm glad that we get to love and love and love some more and to in turn let everything love us back. Bye for now.